All right, boys and girls, it's Power Hour Day. Yes, that's coming up here in just an hour. Go to youtube.com slash America, or I guess you can go to stewdoespowerhour.com and make sure you get there. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Click the little bell. Make sure you know when everything is coming up. It's going to be a lot of fun and a great kickoff to your weekend that's coming up in just a little while, so do not miss it. Now, there is a lot really going on in the world, so first, let's get to that. Stu does America. BlazeTV.com slash Stu is the place to go to subscribe to Blaze TV. Don't miss it. Use the promo code uh, Stu to save 10 bucks. Uh, there's so many promo codes. The code is Stu to save 10 bucks off your subscription. Brian Dean Wright is going to be here. He's got an update on so many things that are going on around the world. You're not going to want to miss that. New details have come out about uh, Biden's uh, oil deals with China, which is just unbelievable. But we start by doing the assassination of Shinzo Abe. What a crazy freaking event that happened overnight for us, but in broad daylight. In Japan, Shinzo Abe, former prime minister, he's the longest serving prime minister. Uh, He left office in 2020 due to ill health, but he was only 60, uh, 65 at the time, I think. He's 67. Uh, He was 67 now. And he's out there making a speech and he's basically campaigning for an election that's coming up in a few days for one uh, one of the people he supports. And in the middle of a speech, he's been speaking for about a minute. A man comes from behind him, takes out a gun and shoots him. We have uh, some of the uh, this is the photo of the guy with the gun. You can see uh, it is. uh, I mean, luckily, he is wearing a mask. So while he assassinated Shinzo Abe, he did not spread COVID-19. That's an important part of this story. But he's holding a gun and it's, it's a homemade gun. We have a kind of a close up of it. It really is fascinating to look at what it is. It seems to be like electrical tape around two pipes with a board below it. And this is a military guy, a former military guy who uh, had obviously weapons knowledge. They found later several other homemade weapons uh, at his apartment. There's been all sorts of conflicting information as to why this went on. Uh, At first, it was about how he didn't like Abe's policies. Then it turned into, well, he wanted to kill someone in a religious group, and that person wasn't even at the scene. Uh, So uh, there's an indication that maybe this guy's completely nuts and not just out there for political motive. We really don't know the truth yet. There's been reports on every single side of this story. Um, Everyone obviously shocked by this. I mean, you you know, we went through a period not too long ago in the United States uh, where this was happening all the time. Huge leaders were being assassinated regularly. Uh, Very, very strange that this could happen. But you you watch the footage and you see there's really no security around it. I'm going to show you the moment this happened here in a second. Obviously, it's not particularly graphic video, but, uh, you know, it's it's certainly disturbing. Um, This is the scene from Abe's speech as someone walks up right behind him as he's making the speech and fires the gun. And before we play it, I want you to think about the gun that we showed you just a minute ago, the couple of pipes and the board and the and the electrical tape around it. You think of, of, a, uh, of a kind of thrown-together gun at the house, you, you think of something that couldn't possibly be all that powerful. Listen to the sound that this gun makes when he fires it. I mean, it sounds like a cannon. 
Uh, to give, I'll give it to you one more time here. Um, again, you can't, it's not graphic, as you noticed, but you, you can't quite see him fire, but you see the smoke coming out of the screen, uh, and you see Abe sort of in, in the center right before the camera turns. One more time, here it is. I mean, un, unbelievable that this could happen. And it's in a place where, you know, look, Japan has a lot of economic challenges. They have uh, problems with all sorts of things, just like every other country on Earth. But uh, assassinations have not happened there that often. There was a, someone who was killed by a sword maybe you know, 60 or 70 years ago, a socialist politician um, right on stage as well. Uh, crazy moment then. But, I mean, really, it's been a long time. And they don't have a huge problem with gun violence. This is something you're seeing all over the place from uh, the media right now. They're saying, hey, uh, I know what you're going to say, you right-wingers. I know what you're going to say. You're going to say, see, bad things happen in other places, but this almost never happens there. And, you know, look, it's true. The gun violence uh, issue is not a major issue in Japan, and there's some reasons for that. Uh, Let me take you through what it takes to actually buy a gun in Japan. This is the simple process if you wanted to attain a firearm in Japan. All you have to do is take a firearm class and pass a written exam, which is held up to three times a year. All right, not that big of a deal, but that's only step one. Step two, get a doctor's note saying you are mentally fit and do not have a history of drug abuse. Okay, hey, a couple of steps, no big deal. Then you get your gun, right? No. Then you have to apply for a permit to take firing training which may take up to a month. This is stretching this process out just a little bit. Describe in a police interview why you need a gun. And of course, this is sort of what New York was trying to do with guns. Now, of course, it's unconstitutional here in the United States because you have a right to bear arms. Uh, It's not like that in Japan. They do not have a constitutional right for you to bear arms, so they can do things like this to their citizens, which is why the Second Amendment is so important. Step number five, pass a review of your criminal history, gun possession record, employment, involvement with organized crime groups, personal debt and relationship with friends, family and neighbors. All right, you can go through that. Then you have to apply for a gunpowder permit. Step six on the rundown of how to get a gun in Japan. Number seven, take a one-day training class and pass a firing test. Step eight, obtain a certificate from a gun dealer describing the gun that you want. Step nine, if you want a gun for hunting, apply for a hunting license. And this is an important one because here's the thing. If you don't want the gun for hunting, if you want it for some other purpose, it's going to get declined. So if you want the gun for hunting, you might get it if you get your hunting license. But if you think you can skip this step because actually I just want it for personal defense, good luck with that because they're going to say no. So you have to go get it for hunting uh, and then you need a hunting license. Step 10, buy a gun safe and an ammunition locker and that uh, meets the safety regulations. Got to have that. Allow the police, step 11, to inspect your gun storage. Step 12, pass an additional Background review, and finally, step 13, buy a gun. After all that, nice and easy. Now, of course, many people will point out that the gun violence is low in Japan, and it partially is because of all these gun laws. They make it impossible. 
Does that really help the problem? Well, we know that, for example, the suicide rate in Japan is higher than it is in the United States, even though they don't have any guns. And that's because there's a cultural connection to uh, the tragedy of suicide in Japan. We are all very, very aware of that tradition throughout Japan's history. So their suicide rate is still very, very high. It just doesn't normally happen with guns. And of course, in a country where you don't have a constitutional amendment, your, gun, your country can pass all sorts of laws, making it impossible for you to buy firearms. Unfortunately, for the left, we do have that here. But what I want to kind of focus on here is the fact that, you know, we have this situation all over the world. All over the world, we have crimes of spectacle that pop their ugly heads up. In Japan, typically, it's been suicide. We have seen all sorts of bizarre attacks in Japan as well. I mentioned the attack on the politician with a, a sword going back many years. You go back a, a decade or two and you will have a chemical weapons attack in a subway by an extremist group who put a bunch of sarin type gas in, a, uh, in, uh, in garbage bags, brought them down into the subway and popped the garbage bags while wearing gas masks and killed people in the subway. Uh, there have been ways people get around this. And they, there's always going to be that crime of spectacle. Here in the United States, back in the 60s, that was the thing to do. The culture, for some reason, whatever unexplainable reason it is, wound up going toward this terrible crime of assassinating high-profile public figures. Obviously, Martin Luther King and RFK Jr. and so many more, all the way up until Reagan in the 80s. And while I'm here on this one, as we watch the uh, former prime minister of Japan get assassinated in front of our eyes. I can't help but think for the fact that I, just the day before that, heard an interview with John Hinckley, a guy who shot Ronald Reagan and almost killed him, came very, very close to killing him. And when I saw that interview, you might say, well, of course, you saw that interview. It's a, he's a historical figure. Well, kind of, uh, they always have these jailhouse interviews with the historical figures. Well, no, I didn't see him in a jailhouse. I just saw him wherever he was. He was just out at his house. He's out of the studio. He's doing concerts. He's doing all sorts of things. He is a free man today. And it makes you think, is there any crime that you can come up with that maybe doesn't allow for a guy to be walking around in public again at any point? The man shot the president of the United States, also others as well. But uh, that's, you know, the most high profile person. Obviously, Brady was there as well. This is not a uh, this is not a, a minor thing, but he shot the president of the United States. Maybe we just kind of agree. If you do that, you're not just walking around doing folk music concerts afterward. I'm just throwing that out there. Maybe that's a new thing we should think about adopting. Maybe at any point, if you shoot a president, you never walk free again. Can we agree on that point? I know a lot of people on the left didn't like Reagan all that much. And maybe that's why he's getting these interviews about how much he's recovered. But you know what? Not going to trust that. Maybe he is completely reformed. He says he doesn't even have to take his medication anymore, but he does because he's such a responsible person. But if you try to kill a president to uh, impress an actress, I don't know. Maybe you're in prison for the rest of your life. Maybe they don't let you out. Maybe you're locked up forevermore.
Just, a, just a throwing that idea out there. You take it if you want. But maybe that's a policy we should think about adopting. Maybe the guy who shot Ronald Reagan shouldn't be doing uh, interviews wherever he wants to do them with the media. Crazy idea, I know. But these crimes of spectacle were a big thing. And we now see the new crime of spectacle since Columbine has been the mass shooting. Taking uh, an innocent event, a day at school, a parade, a visit to a theater, whatever it is, and going in there and destroying the lives of so, so many people, largely done for attention. Uh, We don't know the reasoning behind the person in Japan. We don't know exactly why he did this. But we will, we do know something about this event. And what we know is something critical to understand, not just for Japan and this particular incident, but also for us. Because often we hear when someone goes and shoots up a parade or a theater or, God forbid, a school, we hear the same sort of spiel from the media. If we had just passed this law, if we just did X, Y and Z, there are simple solutions to this. It's easy for us to fix. Well, you know what? It's not. It's almost impossible to fix. Yes, you can stop some of these events from happening. And we did see one stopped uh, over the July 4th weekend, actually, some A citizen wound up overhearing a conversation that may have stopped yet the next tragedy. But these things do happen. You're not going to stop all of them. You can do your best and you should do your best to stop them within the bounds of our laws and our Constitution. That is something that is critical for all of us to be involved in, even if you are a normal citizen overhearing a conversation between two potential mass murderers. But what you have to understand is that evil exists. Some people are going to wind up doing some terrible things. This guy in Japan had absolutely no access to guns whatsoever, so he built them. He built the guns from scratch. He went around the law. You're going to be surprised to hear this. Ghost guns are illegal in Japan. I know, it's a shocking development. But that's the truth. He didn't have a legal right to a gun. He didn't care about his legal right to a gun because he was a murderer, an evil murderer. Whether he was completely insane or completely uh, coherent as he did these things, we don't know yet. But there's some strain of evil running through you if you go shoot a guy in the back as he's making a speech in the middle of the democratic process. There's something evil inside of you if you start taking out your gun and firing from a rooftop at a bunch of families who are there to watch a Fourth of July parade. You can change all the laws that you want. You can turn this into the utopia of Japan. But you can't stop evil. Evil will continue to exist no matter how many laws you pass to destroy it. It's always going to be there. You can't outlaw evil. Evil exists and evil will always exist. All we can do is try to fight back with good and awareness and determination over a long period of time. But no matter how many laws you pass, you can't outlaw evil. Take your summer adventures to the next level with Bespoke Post and their new seasonal lineup of must-have Box of Awesome collections. Bespoke Post partners with small businesses and emerging brands uh, that bring you the most unique goods every single month. From camping gear essentials to beach day to travel must-haves, Box of Awesome has everything you need for summer. And not only just you. I will say, if you have uh, potentially a present you're trying to buy for someone 
Box of Awesome is a great place to go because it's something that kind of, it's the gift that keeps on giving. You can get it month after month after month, as many months as you want to pick up. Uh, and it goes over so many great categories, whether there's you know, someone who's really into sports, someone who's into outdoor stuff like camping, someone who loves to do stuff around the house, someone who loves travel. I got a great travel bag uh, that I absolutely love from uh, my Box of Awesome. Got a great axe too. An axe, yeah, because, you know, that's me. I'm like a lumberjack, basically. I'm an outdoorsy kind of guy, and, um, you know, I'm always chopping trees down and, what, you know, the things that you do with axes. Uh, so, no, it's really great. It's a great axe. It's, it's, I mean, they just have great stuff at boxofawesome.com. Your answers uh, to their quiz will help them pick the right box of awesome for you or whoever you're buying the present for. They release new boxes every month across a ton of different categories, and each box is uh, valued at around $70, but you only pay a fraction of that price. And, of course, every box of awesome I've ever seen, at least personally, has had way more than $70 worth of stuff in there. It's awesome. Get 20% off your first monthly box right now when you sign up at boxofawesome.com and enter the code STU at checkout. It's boxofawesome.com. Code is STU for 20% off your first box. Check it out now, boxofawesome.com. Code STU. I want to welcome uh, Brian Dean Wright back to the program. He's a former CIA operations officer and the host of the President's Daily Brief podcast, which you can subscribe to wherever you get your podcast. And you should, of course. Brian, how's it going? Good, good. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, thanks so much for coming on. Um, let's start with the news of the day, just the incredible situation in Japan. What do you make of it? Well, what a shock, uh, knowing how restrictive uh, the Japanese culture and government are regarding guns, that he could be assassinated with one is, is I think, the first shock. But then secondarily, that, that culture, that, that political system is just not used to this. I think it's 60 years since they've had anything remotely close to it in terms of a major political figure being wounded in this kind of way, assassinated in this case. So an absolute jaw-dropping day for everyone who loved and supported uh, that man and indeed the Japanese people. Obviously, he wasn't currently the uh, prime minister uh, anymore, uh, but we've seen this happen you know, over the world or across the world many, many times where major political figures are assassinated. It's a dark, dark interest of some you know, very evil people. How do governments typically respond to this? How do you expect the Japanese people to respond to it? Well, I think that you're going to see just a lot of shock for the next week or so based on just this this unprecedented event. But then I think you're going to have a lot of conversation about you know, what was it within the the Abe uh, you know, government in the past that would have driven this man to, to do this? What Was he just a deranged individual? Did he have some sort of other motivation that we don't know about in terms of a political motivation? So that's the part that I think a lot of people are going to ask, what would have driven this person to do that? And that may reverberate with the upcoming elections in, in Japan, depending on what he says, what his motivations may have been. Yeah, they're saying right now that they're going to these elections are going to go on uh, as planned. They don't want to disrupt the democratic process, which is obviously the best case. You don't want terrorists just dictating your election schedule. So we'll see how that plays out. I want to get into uh, your your brief from today, your podcast today, where you went into uh, China and our relationship with China. I thought it was really fascinating. You went back through president after president after president talking about how they decided they were going to heal our relations with China. And over and over again, you see these I think well-meaning potentially attempts to heal this relationship constantly fail. Can you kind of walk us through some of this history and maybe we could talk about yeah. why it constantly fails? 
So back all the way in the 1980s, President Reagan sat down with the Chinese government and said, look, we know that you're stealing our stuff. At that point, obviously, it wasn't cyber attacks. Uh, it was through spying and the stealing of intellectual property through the old fashioned you know, human spying networks. Right. There were other ways they were doing it, but that was the bottom line. And so, in fact, what the, President Reagan said was, we, you got to knock this off. Let's work together to try to build a more productive economic and political relationship. So that started this process. And then it went into Clinton, which unfortunately nothing changed in terms of the Chinese government stealing our stuff, that intellectual property, those trade secrets. So Clinton thought, hey, let's throw you into the WTO, the World Trade Organization, make you follow the rules there. That failed. Same under Bush, same under Obama. And sorry to say, in fact, Trump as well. He tried the trade war attack and that was a failure. I think what you're seeing here is a, a continuum of presidents across political spectrums trying to reset that relationship because it's a very important one. I mean, we have a massive trade relationship with them. We have for many decades, and we would like to bring one of the largest countries in the world. In fact, you know, depending on, on how you judge India's population, the largest country in the world. We want to bring them into the, the family of good government. And so that, I think, has been the underlying driver is to try to move them through this communist history into a more, if not capitalist, certainly more, more engaging sort of uh, government with the West and the world. And that just hasn't happened. <laughs> over and over, the Chinese government has played us for suckers. And that really is the legacy of the past 40 years. Everything that we have tried with the Chinese government has failed miserably in terms of trying to bring them along into this good family of good governance. Yeah, and, and you know, it's in some ways you can understand the motivation and why they tried to do it this way. You don't want to have a war with, as you point out, the largest population on the planet, a nuclear power. But we saw the same thing kind of with Russia, right, where we went to them and tried to bring them into the international economy, thinking that if we could relate with them, if we could trade with them, that they would be won over enough. We're not going to agree with them on everything, but at least they won't be constantly blowing things up and breaking laws and stealing things from us. And over and over again, China has come back and said, actually, thanks for your effort, guys, but we're going to continue doing exactly what we're doing. Yeah. You, you bring up one of the most important points, and that is over the past 40 plus years, really since World War II, the whole idea is that you know democracies won't fight each other. And so we can avoid war by you know, bringing more and more people, more and more countries into the democratic process. And so that, I think, has been the underlying hope that exactly as you said, let's bring China into the fold economically and then we're not going to have to fight with them in any kind of way. Well, that's just been proven to be absolutely false in terms of them actually wanting to play by the rules. They've just played us as suckers. So you're right. Under Underlying this, this bad relationship is this desire by the West to try to bring about greater peace through democracy and economic engagement. And it has failed with two massive major examples in China and Russia. We don't want to get into war with either of these countries, obviously. And so what do we do? Because, I mean, we these are, <clears throat> I, I agree with you, these these tactics have not worked with, with the, particularly these two regimes. Although you could make the argument, okay. you know, with some, with a country like Japan, that did work, right? They, they did come around after the war and, and become a big part of the uh, international community. So it's not, yeah. it's, it's not completely hopeless with everybody, but like we have to come up seemingly with the realization that countries like China and Russia are not like Japan. They're totally different. This is a totally different tact a series of tactics that we need to uh, adopt to, to move the needle here. What should we be doing? 
Yeah, well, the, the example with Japan, obviously, we quite literally crushed their them physically and, and governmentally, and we rewrote their constitution. So we had a pretty unique opportunity to help rebuild that country. We don't have that with Russia or China. And I think that's your point is that we can only go so far. So what do we do? Well, first, we have to recognize that we failed, right? 40 years of trying to engage via diplomatic means has failed. Trade wars have failed. So now we have to ratchet things up. What I'm proposing, and I think other folks within the intelligence community are saying, it's time for covert action. We need to start doing some of the things that China's actually done to us via cyber attacks. You have to be a little bit careful here, what you hit, how often you hit, how hard you hit. But the point is the tactics, we need to start adopting what they're doing to show them that we're very serious, we're very angry, and we're not going to take it anymore. We're done with diplomacy until such time that they take us seriously. Is that escalation? You bet. Is it a risk there? Absolutely. But what is the alternative? 40 more years of being played as suckers? I don't think that our economy can afford that. And I don't think that the rest of the world, as they watch us being played for suckers, there's an implication there that, that we can be played. So that will definitely shape our ability to deal with other bullies around the world, which is exactly what China is. So I think we need to step up our covert action uh, operations using the CIA, the NSA and others, and really start punching the Chinese a heck of a lot harder than we ever have before. It's going to be a very dark era with China. Yeah. So we, so we turn up the heat on them, you know, maybe it's through cyber attacks or other means. And how do we expect them to, to respond to that? Is, is China the type of, uh, you know, is Xi the type of person who's going to say, wait a minute, I'm, you know, these guys are serious here. I need, we need to t- change our ways or at least soften what we're doing right now. Or is he the type of guy that's going to come back and say, okay, now we're escalating it even more on our side? Yeah, I think that you would you would probably find what you did uh, or what you saw after Iran or we hit Iran, Soleimani, the general there in, mm. uh, in Iraq, uh, when we killed him. The, the Iranians struck back. They did toss some missiles at us, but they were very muted in their response. I think that we would probably see something similar to, to, to that response out of China. I think we would see some sort of retaliatory response, if for nothing else, just for pride. But that has to be the cost, and we would continue to ratchet up if we had to. Uh, at the end of the day, we can't be afraid of what China will do if we have spent 40 years being afraid of them already. Mm. I mean, it just doesn't make any more sense. Uh, probably the biggest example, I mean, we're not the worst defenders probably on this. Probably the worst defender may be Germany and the way they've dealt with Russia over the years, where they tried to, yes. to, to do this. And now are having their entire economy affected in major, major ways because they realize and have just turned around on this, that this did not work at all. They tried to bring in Russia all of this time, buy all their natural gas, did not work at all. Obviously, the, the Russia-Ukraine situation is uh, inflamed beyond uh, imagination. It seems like maybe mm. Ukraine is, uh, is looking now at a full invasion uh, once again, now that they've taken these regions. Um, I know you have a big special coming up on Ukraine, kind of the state of affairs uh, next week. Can you kind of give us a little preview? What are we looking at right now? So the first thing I think that we need to understand and remember is that we should care about this because Europe as a whole is our biggest export partner. So when their economy goes in the toilet, it, it affects us too, mm-hmm. right? So what we know is that Europe, that not only just their economy, but their governments are, st- are struggling right now. So to the first, their economy is being battered because of this lack of natural gas. Moscow was, is shutting down the spigot, and they're about 60% off of what they normally get. Now, they're scrambling around the world at massive cost trying to get additional gas. 
but they're not going to get enough by wintertime. And that means some of their factories are going to have to shut down. That means some homes are going to end up cold. They're going to have to ration hot water. We're seeing this throughout uh, Europe, but especially Germany. In France, their utility companies have actually warned that unless people conserve, you're going to see social unrest, riots next winter. So this is a really big deal for our largest trade partner in terms of our exports, right? But the bigger question are two other pieces that I will flag next week is, one, we're sending in tens of billions of dollars worth of weapons. Where are those weapons going? Well, right now, the Pentagon says, as of last week, they don't know. All they know is they're sending them into Poland, and then they're being transported into Ukraine. And that includes, by the way, over 1,000 Stinger missiles. And those missiles can bring down commercial airliners. So it's a big, big deal. Finally, one of the things we're going to talk about next week the Pentagon released an assessment, or I should say it leaked, that they believe that the Ukrainian government cannot win this war, which is a war of attrition against Russia. So we're sending all these weapons that we cannot track. We don't believe fundamentally that the Ukrainians can win, even with all of our weapons. And Europe is collapsing economically, or certainly will as of this winter, very high risk for that. So the whole kit and caboodle just doesn't make sense in terms of our strategy. I think what we're seeing right now is the very early stages and very early days of a very, very dark time in Europe. I feel like when I ask a question, hey, where do those tens of billions of dollars of weapons go? I really don't want to hear, I don't know, is the response. I, yeah. <laughs> anything other than that would be preferable, I feel like. Yeah. Mm. This well, is going to be look, yeah. a, a long period, I think, uh, here. Because I, I, I do feel like they've now taken these regions and they've just modified their initial attack plan, right? Is that, is that basically what we're looking at here, Brian? Yeah, they got beat up in the first couple of weeks. They couldn't take it all in the way that they thought they would. Bad intelligence. Their military commanders were, were terrible. This, of course, being the Russians. So they, they regrouped. They're focusing in places where they're strong historically, where their supply chains can come in much easier from Russia via rail. And now they're just marching west. And that's exactly what a lot of people thought a couple months back. And that's precisely what we're seeing today. Mm. Brian Dean Wright, uh, be sure to check out the podcast. The special is coming up next week. Uh, the China stuff that don't miss the stuff you talked about today about China. It's really important. Stuff. It's on the President's Daily Brief. You can go at it right now, wherever you get your podcast. Brian, thanks so much for coming back on the show. Of course, absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm thirsty. Yes, we're only a few moments away from Power Hour starting up. You can't miss this. It's a great kickoff to a summer weekend, and we're going to be doing it right here on this set. It will soon be covered, just covered in beer, because this is a power hour. If you remember this drinking game from maybe back when you were in college, you might wonder why, Stu, are you doing it now? And I don't really know. It was one bad idea one day, and now I keep doing it over and over again. But it's a lot of fun, and I think you're going to enjoy it quite a bit. We try to talk politics. We try to talk, have a coherent conversation about the issues of the day. And typically what happens is it devolves into a total catastrophe. Uh, you can watch it on YouTube. Go to StuDoesPowerHour.com. Look at you right there, StuDoesPowerHour.com. When you're there, make sure to you know like the broadcast and the page and uh, so follow the page. Click the bell to get the, uh, the, the uh, alerts as to when we uh, get the thing started. It's going to be right after the show, uh, pretty soon right after, so uh, don't miss that. It's tonight. Now we have a great panel uh, for tonight. Chad Prather is going to be there. If you missed the show yesterday, because uh, Sarah Gonzalez is going to be on as well. 
Uh, Sarah sitting in the chair and getting scared by uh, Chad coming up from behind her uh, made not only Sarah jump, but me jump, as I had no idea it was coming either. Uh, it's going to be a fun show tonight. Chad Prather, Sarah Gonzalez, Lisa Page, uh, Alex Stein is going to be here. It's his first Power Hour. And there's some controversy around that because he doesn't drink. So I don't know how this is going to work. He made us buy him Heineken Zero, which who even knew it was a product? But we'll talk to him about that. And Andrew Heaton is going to be here as well. Very funny guy. It's going to be a great show. Going to be a lot of fun. You don't want to miss this. Tonight, 9 p.m. Eastern is when this thing finally rolls out. It is StuDoesPowerHour.com. It's tonight. Do not miss it. Back in a second. At some point, one of these power hours is going to result in me needing to move out of the country. And when I do that, I don't know if realestateagentsitrust.com can help me when I go to the new country. I think they're United States only. You can call them. You can ask them. Um, but I can at least sell my house here uh, with realestateagentsitrust.com. Generally speaking, our homes are our biggest investment, and that's a lot of responsibility. You need an agent that can take that responsibility seriously. And that's why I always talk to you about realestateagentsitrust.com. If you need to have, uh, you know, if you need to move for work, if you need to move for, because you want to get away from a blue state, whatever the reason is, you need to have a real estate agent on both sides of that transaction that represents you. And you need a real estate agent you can trust. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com today. Give them uh, some basic info. They will contact you and make the introduction to the best agent in your town. It's realestateagentsitrust.com, realestateagentsitrust.com. Well, uh, Biden has been for a while trying to reverse that Putin price hike, you know, that thing that Vladimir Putin did that signaled that he was going to invade Ukraine long before he actually did. And that's what made all the inflation happen before the invasion. And then it continued to go up after. But that that means that's a Putin price hike. Just remember that. It's easy to remember. <laughs> Just remember everything that you see is a Putin price hike. That's the easiest way to remember it. Now, the uh, Biden administration decided to take a bunch of our oil from our strategic oil reserve and sell that to overseas countries in effort to, re, to return prices to normal from the Putin price hike. I, th- I think that's the way the logic works. But there's more to that story, of course. Now, the headline says Biden sold a million barrels from U.S. Strategic Petroleum Reserve to China-owned gas giant. And that is false. It was only 950,000 barrels. So stop lying, media. Um, The trading arm of the China Petrochemical Corporation, company commonly known as Sinopec, is a wholly owned uh, corporation of the Chinese government. The Biden administration still said the uh, move would address the pain Americans are feeling at the pump and help lower energy costs. How that would happen, I don't know exactly. Um, Biden's son, Hunter, interestingly enough, is tied to Sinopec. This is a total coincidence in every single way. In 2015, a private equity firm he co-founded bought a $1.7 billion stake in Sinopec Marketing. Sinopec went on to enter uh, negotiations to purchase Gazprom uh, in March. So they're doing pretty well. Are you? I'm curious if you are, because uh, the Biden family, 
everything's going great. Everything's turning up roses for the Bidens right now. Um, shockingly, you'll hear after I talk about Hunter Biden, you'll be surprised to hear that the trust in the news in America has collapsed to a historic low. The percentage of Americans who say they have a great deal or quite a lot of confidence in newspapers and television news is at an all time low for both categories. As you see, 16 percent for newspapers, 11 percent for television news. This is back from the mid 90s. It was up in the uh, 46, 47 percent range. So 47 to 11 for television news. That's pretty good, right? I mean, in golf, it's good. You know, if you can change your score from a few holes from 47 to an 11, it's a real improvement. Here, maybe not so much, but uh, that's all they have. Why on earth would you not trust the news? I can't, I can't think of any reason why. Could it be that they constantly lie and accept the lies from politicians all the time. Uh, Daily Wire has a little fact check out today. Uh, Biden said he never claimed he he claimed he never said anything uh, negative about John McCain. Uh, He lied. Surprisingly enough, he criticized McCain as an angry man who was lashing out at Obama because he didn't like being tied too closely to George W. Bush. Biden said of McCain, you quote, you can't call yourself a maverick when all you've ever been is a sidekick. Uh, He called him, uh, he said he was an angry man lurching from one position to another. And he said he was attempting to take the low road to the highest office in the land. That's among other things. That's what he said about John McCain. Just a straight out lie. And you might say, okay, well, the Daily Wire is going to call out Biden when he says something wrong. What about CNN? What about CNN calling out the left wing media? That doesn't happen that often. Now, we know we're in the middle of an interesting time for CNN as they've uh, threw away a bunch of their terrible hosts and some of their left leaning people. They some of the management has been kicked out. And the the pitch from them is we're going to make things better. We're going to do a better job. We're going to actually treat this like a news organization again. Is that going to happen? I certainly am a bit skeptical of it, but I would love to see it happen. I give you bad examples as to why it's not happening often. Let me give you a good one here. There's a fact check from CNN uh, talking about a liberal website, Salon. Liberal website Salon has changed a headline that had falsely said a bill signed by Republican Governor Ron DeSantis forces Florida students and professors to register their political views with the state. The 2021 law does require public colleges and universities in Florida to administer annual surveys on the subject of intellectual freedom and viewpoint diversity. But contrary to the inaccurate initial Salon headline, the law does not require anybody to register their political views. Students and faculty members can decide whether to participate in the surveys, which are anonymous. Kind of an important detail there. Salon decided to just, you know, just change the headline. Don't worry about it. They published the headline in June 2021. Its revision was on Wednesday, more than a year later. And it came after the article went viral among some Democrats on Twitter amid talk of a possible DeSantis run for president. And so there's this big sort of thing that happens when when that stuff goes on where both sides stop trusting each other. And that's just happened, obviously, a long time ago. There's a new poll out about the two Americas index. We've got charts for you on Power Hour Day. Yes. Uh, The share of people who say they have little or nothing in common with someone of another party. Democrats, since the abortion thing happened, went from 74 to 85 percent, saying they have absolutely nothing in common with like the Republicans. Republicans, they moved as well from 75 to 79 percent, saying they had nothing in common with the other party. And independents said 52 to 65 percent. They have nothing to do with the other side of the party. It had nothing in common at all. And why is that? Why would, let's say, Republicans not think they had anything in common with the Democratic Party? 
we know we have huge problems in this country right now. We know we have inflation and the border and everything going on with Ukraine, among so many other things. What are the Democrats up to? Why would the Republicans not see any common cause? Hmm, let's go through it. Democrats have a new climate and tax agenda that's going to consume Congress in July. This is something they say they have Joe Manchin on board with. Are you excited about it? I know I am. Uh, they wanted to spend that two trillion. Well, so initially six trillion, then it was down to three, then it was down to two trillion. Manchin eventually balked at it. Didn't want to raise taxes, and and uh, at least in that in the way that they were talking about, had some problems with specifics. So now they've gone back to Manchin and said, okay, look, just tell us what you want. What will you do? And Manchin has basically said, well, how about uh, some of the climate stuff? So you're West West Virginia, guys, West Virginia. I hope you guys in West Virginia are listening to this. He's picked climate change to go after. Also, some stuff about uh, drug prices. They're going to spend this money and they only need to get 50 votes to do it. They likely will get that money out the door before this goes away. How about Dianne Feinstein? She said she'd vote for filibuster carve out to codify abortion rights. While you're worrying about inflation, they're worrying about passing laws about federal abortion rights that would likely be overturned anyway. Facing pressure, Biden is now going to sign an executive order on abortion access. I can't go through all the details here because we don't have enough time, but a lot of it basically is sort of nonsensical. It's a lot of stuff protecting against the things that aren't going to happen. Like they're going to try to stop you from traveling across state lines and we're going to do something to try to prevent that. That's probably not going to happen anyway. It would get overturned in the courts if you tried to do it, most likely anyway. Uh, and the final thing that they're doing right now, uh, they're, they're getting involved in the mail. Not necessarily with the post office, but by mailing poop to Republicans. 25 Republican state senators in Ohio were sent feces in the mail. Because I guess they're, they're evil. They're Republicans, after all, so send them feces in the mail that uh, I can't understand why Republicans don't feel like they have that close connection and common cause with Democrats. It's shocking. It really is. We are only seconds away from the 500th anniversary Studios America Power Hour. What is a power hour? Well, it's defined as the time where a bunch of idiots get on stage right here and we have one shot of beer per minute for an hour as we attempt to talk politics and it gets completely incoherent. And there's going to be some sad additions to, to tonight's festivities. We've got, yes, uh, what appears to be 18 gallons of fireball. This is going to be ugly. And I, I do appreciate it. We're going to have a live audience in here uh, very, very soon to celebrate. I hope you uh, get to check it out. Go to StuDoesPowerHour.com. The whole group's going to be there. StuDoesPowerHour.com. Let me go through some of the reviews. Five stars is the appropriate number of stars. Get your algorithmic engagement comments in right now. AEC. I love all of your songs from the AOC and everything is racist to the Katanji Brown Jackson song. I listen at two times the speed and that makes the songs even better. I don't I don't know that they ever get better. Um, AEC and that, that's algorithmic engagement comments. It helps feed the algorithmic robots that are out there. Uh, do you think it's possible that that song, the K- Katanji Brown Jackson song, has received more attention from replete, repeated plays here than from its original distribution? That is not just possible. It is definite. Uh, AEC statistics. Lives on. Yes. By the way, click like if you're on YouTube right now. Put your algorithmic engagement uh, comments in the machine and feed the beast. Um, 
Let me tell you about uh, Power Hour. It's coming up here just in a couple of seconds. Uh, we're going to have a great group of people. We've got Chad Prather, uh, Sarah Gonzalez, Lisa Page. That's my wife. She's going to be here. She says to keep me in line, but honestly, it's probably going to go very much awry. Andrew Heaton is going to be here as well. Can't wait for him. And Alex Stein will be on the broadcast as well. It is going to be completely insane and a great kickoff to your weekend. Make sure to join us. StuDoesPowerHour.com. StuDoesPowerHour.com. We will see you then. I'm getting thirsty just thinking about it.